Welcome everyone to Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. Please don't forget to smash that subscribe button and uh, piss off Susan at YouTube by subscribing to our channel. Um, also, you can go to unsafespace.com to support the show, to get merchandise, all that kind of stuff. Earlier today, I had the opportunity to speak with uh, someone that you may know as the Pink Flame of Liberty on YouTube, but her real name is Karen Ann Harlos, and she's the secretary of the Libertarian National Committee. She's been active in libertarian politics for the past seven years, uh, both as a, an affiliate in Colorado and a regional representative in the National Party. She's also a member of the Radical Caucus, uh, which advocates for the ideas of anarcho-capitalism. Uh, most recently, she exposed and helped thwart an attempted coup within the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, and she just barely survived retaliation as a whistleblower. You can follow her on YouTube, as I mentioned, at Pink Flame of Liberty, uh, and on Twitter at Karen Ann Harlos, and on Instagram at Karen Ann Harlos. We'll put the links to all that stuff in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy my conversation with her. So Karen Ann, uh, welcome to the show. It's great to talk to you. Uh, great to talk to you as well. Thank you. So maybe we should start, um, I have just have some general libertarian questions. And this is an interesting time right now, I think politically in the US because you're starting to see a lot more disillusionment, disillusionment on both the left and the right. You've got the radical leftists taking over the Democrats and you're starting to see actually a little bit more of the moral majority return to the Republicans in some sense, not all of them. Yeah, um, I think so. Is there a good, is this an opportunity for the libertarians? I mean, they haven't done well historically. Well, it depends on how you define doing well. In some ways we, we've done really well. And if you go back to the founding of the party as to the purposes for its existence, we've done well. We shift the, a third party politics, third party politics are not the same as major party politics. And the goal of a third party is to at a minimum, shift the conversation. Um, okay. We're not always going to win because, or even often, to be honest with you, except for in local races, because the way our voting system is rigged, it's designed to have two dominant parties. But you don't have to necessarily win the election to influence the election. And it doesn't, when we start beating the spread, which we do a lot, and that's when, you know, we get called a spoiler and I'm like, oh, cry me a river. That's when we start influencing things because the candidates start getting paranoid that they're going to say, you know, but for the libertarian X would have won. And we do that quite frequently. And I count that as a success. Do you think so? Do you think uh, do you think the politics have moved in a libertarian direction in some measurable way because of the libertarian party on some issues and i can't say whether it's because of the libertarian party solely but we certainly have been a factor you know when you're you, you, i don't know if you know what is it the um oh crap I, the paradox of the piles where they're like how much sand does it take to have a pile you don't have a pile with a grain but you have a pile with a ton. At what point does it become a pile type of thing? How many grains of sand can you take oh, away? So I believe that we are a factor in it and an essential factor in the pile. That 
without a lot of different things, we might not be where we're at. So I wouldn't, wouldn't say we're the sole cause of anything, but I do think we certainly have shifted the conversation when it comes to, um, you know, getting the government out of marriage and absent that at least expanding what kind of marriages the government's going to recognize. So we would prefer they just stay out of it entirely. And the conversation on war, the conversation on the drug war, the, so wars both foreign and domestic, I think mm -hmm. we, we have been a factor in those conversations. Is the, we certainly so is have the, trained up activists that have been powerful in these conversations. Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of the audience knows that I was in the cannabis industry for a while. Like I was a, a ran a venture firm in the cannabis industry. And prior to the the awakening, I'll call it or whatever happened in the last few years, uh, being libertarian was considered like an okay thing to be in that community because it was recognized that you were against the war on drugs and that was a cool thing and that was fine and you didn't have to agree with all the social programs um, that the leftists want. I don't know if that's still true. Um, my guess is it would, it would not be true anymore based on uh, how how societies change or cultures change, but uh, but libertarians have had. I mean, there've been some actual success. Like you see people winning. The the governor of uh, Nevada was libertarian at one point, right? And um, was it Nevada mm -hmm. or is it New Mexico? Uh, Gary Somewhere. Johnson was yeah, New Mexico. He was a Republican when he was governor, but and he oh. was running for the Republican presidential nomination and then switched to libertarian. But he was a oh, very I thought libertarian. he was libertarian from the beginning. Okay. No, he is a very libertarian governor, though. I mean, he he bore the Republican label, but he was very libertarian in his governance. Well, they do they do all sometimes win at local levels, like in New Hampshire. You see libertarians, although mm -hmm. even then some of them are Republicans. Um, and Ron Paul is kind of held up as as a libertarian idol, although he was part of the Republican Party. But he was our presidential um, candidate in 1988. So true. he's a life he's a life member of the Libertarian Party. But so is Bill Weld. But we're not going to talk about him. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Fair enough. So you do think there's <laughs> you think there's an opportunity here, though, like getting back to the to the mm -hmm. first question, you think there's an opportunity here for the Libertarian Party to pick up votes as people are realizing that the Democrats aren't what I thought they were and the Republicans maybe are not getting their shit together? Absolutely. I'm always very hopeful of that. And we certainly do win on local levels. Like th there, there's been whole towns where the whole town council has been libertarian for, for periods of time. But on the national races, I've always felt that one day there's going to be that critical mass opening that you just have to be there. You have to just be prepared. You can't plan for it. You don't know when it's going to happen, but you need to be there to exploit it when it does. And I do believe that will happen. It, it could be something crazy like, you know, some weird ass scandal that breaks out, you know, a, an October surprise that just completely de demolishes one of the old party candidates. And here we are with full, you know, 50 plus one ballot access ready to exploit that hole. I thought it was going to happen with Clinton Trump. It didn't, but I can see it still setting up and we will be there poised to take advantage of it when it does. That's I mean, my thing view. That it, it reminds me of like Ross Perot came close, not that he was libertarian, but he was that third party, right. like who, who actually got, I think got like a, pro, a large plurality of the votes, right? Um, he, he well, and he, well. if he didn't drop out, who knows what would have happened? But he said his family was being threatened. So he dropped out and then re-entered the race. If he yeah. didn't drop out, 
I have because he got 15 percent, I think, of the popular vote, even with all of that, you know, dropping out stuff, which people kind of wondered about his commitment. I he probably had a good chance to get 30 or 40 percent, I think, if he didn't drop out. Certainly. No, I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess so. there's that that possibility of that moment for the Libertarian Party. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if the libertarians are trying to change the conversation, it seems like the way to do that, and I'm not a political strategist, so smack me if I'm wrong, right? But it seems like the way to do that would be stand on principles, like be very principled and uncompromising about your position, because yeah. that's that's what's going to drag people over. But I, you know, as someone on the sidelines, I've been, I mean, I'm an I'm an ANCAP, but I've been like on the libertarian side of things for 20 something years. I don't actually, I don't see a lot of principled stances from the Libertarian Party until recently. I mean, which one's recently? <laughs> I mean, I don't well, disagree with I you. I see some tweets from the Mises Caucus that seem pretty uh, edgy and principled, believe it There's at that. There's always activists that are very principled. There's always candidates that are. The National Party needs to work on that. <laughs> they, okay. they, they, they do. But there's always been individual activists, which I think are much more important than the National Party anyway. It, people pay way too much attention to the National Party. They should be paying more attention to their state party. And there are state parties that are very, very principled. But I absolutely agree with you. This milk toast, like worried about who you might offend messaging. That's not the way you do third party politics, because the two old parties are much better at pandering than we will ever be. So we sh just shouldn't even play that game. Well, and they're starting from a much more uh, pragmatic mainstream position. So pandering is very easy for them. It's very right. difficult to say, actually, I don't think the government should do any of this crap, but I'm trying to pander to you anyway. It's like, well, <laughs> you're not even starting from yeah. somewhere that's near where most people are. It's very difficult to pander at that point. And by the way, I think you know this, but I'm an ANCAP as well. So that doesn't preclude yes. being involved in politics. Well, in uh, yeah, no, no, I don't think it precludes being involved in politics. And maybe we can talk about this at some point. But um, I've recently decided to rename myself as I'm an evolutionary anarchist. Um, and what I mean by that is I think politics, the political system is almost irrelevant um, and superseded by culture. And if you don't have a culture of freedom, you can't maintain it regardless of what your laws are. And if you do have a culture culture of individualism, freedom, you could have a monarchy. As long as the king was part of that culture, it would actually be fine. I'm mean, not arguing for monarchy. Um, but so when I look at anarchy, I look at it as this like long term. I think that's the way we need to go. But I don't really feel like squabbling about anarchy right now. I'm on the same side as all the people trying to push government smaller generally and talk and and do the cultural work necessary to teach people about individualism, freedom, self-responsibility, mm -hmm. self-ownership, all that kind of stuff. Well, I think anybody, any political strategist is going to tell you that politics is a lagging indication of cultural change that's already happened. It does have to happen in the culture first, for sure, which is why I often say we're a social movement disguised as a political party. And I think that's you, how we'll be more successful. I was going to say, so do so you think libertarian, you do think of libertarianism as more of a social movement? I do. And that's it has a political, it has a political expression. But I think we are exploiting 
the type of attention that you can get by virtue of being a recognized political party um, to affect the social change necessary for our political success. Like, for instance, I could sit here and rant all day about anarchy and I'm not going to get in any of our newspapers. But the minute I was a candidate, I got in all these questionnaires that automatically got printed with everyone else. And I could say whatever I want. I couldn't pay for that as merely an activist. So it's exploiting the political system to get out the social message. That makes that makes sense. If you had to define uh, the the social message or the philosophy of libertarianism, what would you how would you define it? Radical individualism, simply like you did as well. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, and and I and I think Americans instinctively, I I don't know about the latest generation of these young people, but I mean in general, <laughs> I do think Americans understand fundamentally individualism. I mean, we still have that heritage. We're close to losing it, I think, but we it, it's still there right now to be exploited. And I use exploit in a good way. I don't mean it in a manipulative way. I mean, take advantage yeah. so of leveraged, right, right? Right. Leverage. That's a better word. Yeah. I you know, you and I uh, spoke about this uh, briefly and we can talk about it again today. But um, the. I know we're both a little bit disappointed at how Americans responded to mask mandates to, to be to, this is an understatement, perhaps. Um, but I, I will say I noticed this. If you look at other Commonwealth law countries, Australia, most of Europe, um, their response has actually been much worse. And it's really only in America, for the most part, where you've seen the level of resistance to this. And I think that does speak to some sort of um, American uh, individualist leaning like spiritually, which I'm using in quotes because I'm mm -hmm. not religious, but like that kind of spiritual individualism. I guess you've seen some protests in France recently, but in general, you've I don't, I you think don't we've see seen that. them in France, England, and Ireland. I, okay. I think part of the reason we're we're not as aware of them because, to be honest with you, we're arrogant Americans that are very provincial <laughs> and don't know that much of what's going on around the world. Um, but I do think there is particularly significant pushback in Ireland. From what I understand, I don't know anything about Ireland. I was actually thinking specifically of Australia and New Zealand, um, but yeah, I don't know anything about Ireland. Although I will, having been reading a lot about the French Revolution recently, I don't think the French ever really understood individualism, and I still don't think they understand it. I don't oh, think they I ever know. got it's, it. Yeah, yeah. the The French Revolution is completely different than the American Revolution, even though they were in the same time period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, we, we don't have to get into French Revolution stuff. So right. let, let's yeah. uh, let's do um, I, I want to get I want to get to, you know, we, we you talked about the importance of state parties rather than the national mm -hmm. platform for the libertarians. Um, and you you had uh, some some fame recently <laughs> in the in libertarian circles because of an interaction between the state and national parties. Can Correct, you tell, yeah. tell people the story about New Hampshire? Oh God, it, it gets crazy and I, I, I'll end up getting in trouble. Um, because Good, get in trouble. Yeah. You all, yeah, <laughs> oh, you don't know those people. Um, uh, all right, so from my understanding, and I always have to put in all these allegedly's and allegedly's, but I'm convinced it's proven to my satisfaction. It might not be proven to other people's satisfaction, but the Mises caucus 
basically took over the New Hampshire party. And they took it, when I say take over, they did it legitimately. They won all the elections for the party officers, just like right. any other caucus might do. They're just more open about what their goals are. And New Hampshire was one of the first state parties that they were successful at. And prior to that, New Hampshire had really fallen, in my view, to wokeism. The prior board was very much of that ilk. Nick Sarwark is in New Hampshire. So it stung. And as though a gesture of good faith, they didn't run anyone for chair of New Hampshire. They basically said, we, we'll work with people who aren't Mises Caucus people. So a non-Mises person was chair and the rest of the board was Mises Caucus people. And that was by design on their end. They probably think that was a mistake now, but to offer. But they're being charitable. And, it, and, they, and that was their intention. And they right. thought Gilletta, that they could work with Gilletta Jarvis, um, who is a friend of mine, um, as chair. And they started doing what Mises Caucus does and putting out some messaging that made other people very uncomfortable. Um, for instance, they said legalized child labor. And the kind of stuff I would retweet and love, which is great. Okay. I, I had no problem. I, I, I don't want to say no problem. I thought the tweet was worded kind of ham handedly, but the intent behind it, it was libertarian. Listen, sure. we could all quibble about wording. Um, and the apparently there were some other that that's the one that that got attention on, I think, like major media, like was covering that child labor thing. And Gilletta felt like she was losing control of the board. And if she thought she was going to control the Mises Caucus people, she never had control. And that's not really the right view of a state chair, in my view, anyway. So she was going to resign. And what she told me is that when she made it known she was going to resign, she got a call from somebody out of state, which is very important, who said, no, there's another way. And in cahoots with the National Party chair, and this is the whole allegedly, it's proven to my satisfaction, um, they hatched a plot to, to basically say that the current board, in the words of the former national chair, constructively resigned by not agreeing with the chair, basically. And they formed a whole new party. And the idea was that the National Party was just going to recognize this new one without going through the formal process of disaffiliation and reaffiliation. And um, when that got uncovered and Joshua Smith and I started asking very pointed questions to the national chair, because we were starting to discover his involvement. Um, first, he threatened to sue me, which is nice. A board, another officer trying to uncover potential misdeeds of another officer, which is the classic definition of whistleblowing. I got threatened yep. to be sued for that. And then he, then he resigned. But before he resigned, he made sure that he voted in a motion that was started right when I started questioning the chair um, by a friend of the chair to remove me from my position. And he, before he left, he made sure he voted yes on that. Okay. And then left. Wow. It was so dirty. And um, yeah. But you tried didn't to, get removed. I didn't get removed because the, the person that was doing the motion 
kept trying to have a vote by email and there's no due process in email and I'm entitled to argue my case. I'm entitled to have a trial and a hearing with a lawyer and everything. And um, both times the motions were ruled out of order by the acting chair, Ken Mullman. And a world-class parliamentarian saw this going on um, who the last time he said he donated his services was in the Trent Lott situation. That's a long time ago. What's it, 15 time, years yeah. or so ago? He said the only intervenes in, in situations he thinks are of national significance. So he donated his time to me. I couldn't have afforded this parliamentarian and basically argued and helped me get it ruled out of order. Um, so that's where it stands right now. But they could bring a motion again any day. And they remind me of that without saying it constantly. They, they, but they the people who were... They showed They've, me their gun, in other words, and they keep showing it to me. Right. It'd be a shame. You have nice legs. It'd be a shame if they were broken. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that sort they, of thing. <laughs> but the people who, uh, the primary instigators resigned, though, right? Because they thought they got rid of you and then resigned or no? Um, no. JBH, the former chair, he resigned. The okay. Region 1 representative resigned. It was... Over me, but not over me. Um, the regional representatives are, are assigned to represent certain states. And on really important votes, they should vote the way their state chairs want them to vote. And Francis Went, who was the Region 1 representative, which includes Colorado, where I live, and am an officer in the Colorado Party, and my husband is state chair of Colorado, voted against the will of his region and voted yes to remove me. So they were getting ready to remove him. He resigned before he could be removed. Same thing. Um, now, Tucker, who was the uh, Region 8 representative, that wasn't over me at all. He represented New Hampshire and then voted to disaffiliate New Hampshire, a state that he was duty bound to protect. <laughs> and he resigned over that before he got removed. So there's multiple moving parts. Um, but the person who actually made the motion is still on the LNC. Okay. And... and still complaints about me yeah i just try to well, stay away from them all so i just want to just for people who aren't super familiar with the ins and outs right. of uh, i want to let me simplify this and tell me if i'm wrong sure Alle I, allegedly can be put in front of everything i'm saying the okay. the, <laughs> the national party tried to basically steal the New Hampshire party away from mm -hmm. the people who were duly elected that were running the New Hampshire party, which was the Mises Caucus, but they ultimately failed. And the Mises Caucus is still in control of the New Hampshire Libertarian Party. Correct. Correct. Okay. Because all the people who were voting, who, who would have helped to engineer this are gone. Plus their plan failed from the very beginning. So even if those people didn't resign, the plan was doomed to fail because just of an alignment of the stars. And this is why there was the revenge motions against me. When this went down, I was in Florida acting as because acting as their parliamentarian. I'm a parliamentary person. So my attention was distracted. But at the end of the day, I got this message. I was like, holy shit, what's going on? And it just so happened that that week I resigned my job. So I had a lot of free time that I wouldn't normally have. So the minute I heard this happening, 
I played basically my own personal detective and got statements from these people before they could coordinate their stories. And uh-huh. but on the record, on a Zoom meeting that was recorded, and I let them know this is unofficial. You don't have to talk to me. Blah 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 blah. Um, and those are public. It, but for that, they would have gotten away with it. And that's why that wave of hostility came at me. And, and, and the excuse for these motions was, oh, you have behavior on becoming an officer because I cuss a lot. Um, and I have autism. I'm not always the best in social situations. I can be blunt and off-putting. Wait, a but libertarian I, with autism? That's unheard yeah, of. I admit it, at least. And, and I, But I was elected like that. I was elected on a whistleblowing platform because the former chair, Nick Sarwark, was doing dirty shit, allegedly. And to my satisfaction, yes, but allegedly. Uh, So I ran on that platform. So the delegates elected me as I am. There was no like. You know, she swears and she uncovers stuff and both. Right. Those, okay, there's no smoke and mirrors. Right? <laughs> right. So this LNC decided they didn't like that package and was going to remove me for the exact same reasons I was elected. So basically overriding the, the will of the delegates. But all this excuse over decorum or whatever other things I supposedly violated. It's funny how that only became an issue when I was basically instrumental in getting the chair to resign. And. The person that made that motion, not only to remove me from the LNC, but basically destroy all of my work in the party, remove me from every committee assignment, which had nothing to do with anything. But that same person just the week before voted for me to chair the platform committee. So apparently it wasn't so bad then and put me on the voting reform committee. Uh, but but no, all of a sudden, a week later, I'm not qualified. But your excuses for two years, I've been rude. Then why did you vote for me on these committees? Dude, it was because I was a whistleblower. It is so yeah. obvious. And they get very, very angry at me claiming I'm a whistleblower. But too bad. So sad. I was. It's, it's so patently obvious. And they might not like my demeanor, but the delegates did. So too bad. I don't like the demeanor of some people on the LNC, but they were duly elected. For me to go and try to remove them because I personally don't like them is the height of political dirtiness and chutzpah. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> it just seems so anti-individualist and libertarian like as well. It's like, it, I mean. And they're very angry at me because I have a YouTube channel. So there's yep. uh, a lot of people are trying to get them to suppress my free speech. Here's the funny thing. Most of the things they object to what I say aren't in a context that's their business. It's not at meetings. It's not in the email list. It's in my private life. They don't like my private free speech on my YouTube channel because I cuss and I called them fuckers a few times. And I hope I'm well, they're going to be really kids. unhappy if Dave Smith gets the nomination. Right. This wasn't and I've never cussed in a meeting. Meanwhile, some of those hypocrites that were wanting to remove me have screamed at me in meetings, have dropped the F-bomb in meetings. If you ever see me in a meeting, I'm one of the most professional people at the meetings. I know time and place. Right. My YouTube channel is not their business. And today, some member wrote complaining about T-shirts that I'm selling because apparently those are offensive. That's not their business. 
and they're upset because I've monetized my YouTube channel and I talk about LNC stuff. So they're going, oh, you're monetizing your job. Oh, dear me. I'm a fucking capitalist. What a surprise. <laughs> this is it's so it's so odd to hear that this is all happening with alleged libertarians. It's one of the it's one of the reasons that as a. And cap, I, I've always kind of looked at the libertarians with a little bit of like humor that like you're kind of ridiculous. Like, really, this is you call yourself an individualist and this is the kind of craft that you're you're doing. But that's really? why I got elected, because people were tired of this. There's a and the, and the LNC is in such a self-flagellating echo chamber that they actually think that most of the party thinks as they do. And they don't realize that their continued needling at me has turned me into this folk hero now. Sure. And they could try to remove me if they want. I'll be reelected in a landslide. It's like they're making a martyr out of me. If they really wanted me to be less vocal, the best thing they could do is just ignore me whenever I say anything. But they keep reacting, which then causes the party members to support me more. Because right. they want someone on the LNC that's calling out the bullshit. Is there is there a threat from the Mises Caucus at the national level, and are they concerned about that? Because I, yes. I don't think you're a member of the Mises Caucus, right? I am not. Right, but they, but they are concerned about that kind of. You have oh. sort of a similar brash, outspoken, say what you want kind of attitude that the, that the Mises Caucus has as well. Yeah, um, they're, and they're concerned. And the, and the Radical Caucus used to be that way, but for some reason, they're just not effective now. Um, maybe they will be in the future. You know, there's seasons for things. I come out of the Radical Caucus. That's my background. Um, but yeah, I do believe that a good deal of the LNC is threatened by what the Mises Caucus represents, which is a return to unapologetic, fundamental somewhat obnoxious libertarian principles. And I do not know why that's so offensive to some people, but it is. The, the, the LP has been wokeified and we need to be de-woked badly. And the funny thing is, it comes with the pink hair dye, like I think it seeps into your brain. I'm a little SJW myself and I'm even tired of the shit. Because so I, I, I have sympathies in that direction. I don't think you can have pink hair and not be a little, you know, you know, every once in a while, I, I feel like maybe I should put on the pussy hat in March, you know, that comes with the it pink It must hair. seep into your brain a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so I... I'm, I'm not anti like that. Like I do every once in a while, you'll see me get a little SJW, -y. but I'm tired of the shit and we need to de-wokeify the LP badly. And that's what the Mises caucus represents and the far leftist influence that has seeped into the party being invited by our former, former chair, Nick Sarwark, doesn't like it because they were winning and all of a sudden they're not. Yeah. When you say you're a little SJW, what do you mean by that? Because I think I don't I don't think of the pussy hat thing is necessarily SJW just kind of. Um, I, I mean that I'm very careful if someone has preferred pronouns, it's no skin off of my back. Um, I'm very deconstructionist of traditional roles and things like that. And I just don't okay. give a shit. Like if somebody want it, listen, if somebody really wanted to be identified as an attack helicopter, I don't care. What's your helicopter right. pronouns? No skin off my nose. 
be a nut. What do I care? So um, I'm very respectful of people's personal lifestyle choices. Like I I don't do the, oh, you're free to do that, but I don't have to approve. Like I'm beyond approval. I don't care. Really ultimately just don't care and try to see the dignity in each person. And really, if they want to be called something and I can remember it, I don't, I'll, I'll honor that. Why not? If I like the person, don't I want to make them feel good? So I mean, in, in, in that way, you know, yep. the, the, the kind of reshaping of gender roles, um, relationship roles, I'm kind of on board with that. So right. th- that's why I say I've got SJW-ish in me. That makes sense. I mean, and and I know a lot of, I mean, I think, you know, Ovens O'Brien, I feel I put Ovens mm-hmm. in that category as well. Um, and like, I know a lot of, of libertarians like that. I just never think of them as necessarily SJW. I just think like, those are the libertine libertarians. Oh, I, I, I'm absolutely, right. like when people ask me, no, I'm absolutely a degenerate libertine. <laughs> Proudly. <laughs> okay. So you're the you're the Edna St. Vincent Malay of the Libertarian Party. That's yeah, yeah. So uh, that's what I call a bit SJW, and I am a member of the LGBT community too. So uh, it it comes with that. Yeah. No, th- that I get. I think I think where and I think there's a lot of room for um, disagreement though among people if that's if that's the extent of the like the people that might be more conservative like you know in culturally conservative i think i think there that's fine but i think it gets to i think what's happened is um you've started to see a lot more authoritarianism come from the left and the sjws have kind of gone a they've gone to group identification as the primary means of 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 identity um and b they've gone to like this authoritarian imposition of it so um yeah, no, I think I don't, that's where people I don't get go lost there. Of of yeah, 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 I don't I, I don't go there. But, you know, I am the farthest thing from culturally conservative that you can probably be. OK, good. Can we talk about the cultural conservatives then? Because sure. um, <laughs> I um, just to set context for you, because I know mm-hmm. we don't know each other super well. Um, I grew up like evangelical Christian, my like my. Like, Me too. I'm then, still a Christian, by the way, but I grew up, fun- well, okay. I didn't grow up fundamentalist, but I converted in my 20s. So I went okay. through that whole very fundamentalist uh, stage. So I would say, um, so, and I, so, and puritanical, I should throw that in there as well. It I goes grew up with puritanical as well. Yeah. Did you have a promise ring? I didn't have a promise <laughs> ring, but I was a virgin when I got married at the age of 20. Uh, um, oh, so uh, Joshua Harris, you kissed dating goodbye. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, I, that, that marriage did not last long, but that's a separate issue. Um, yes. So, um, see, so yeah, I was definitely, I was definitely in that that puritanical mm-hmm. um, thing, and then, and then I've I'm been an atheist now for twenty five years, and I have gone. I went the other direction and I was polyamorous for a while mm-hmm. and just like, okay, none of, none of this matters. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Um, and now I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I'm not totally sure what's right for everyone, but I've kind of figured out what's working for me and I'm not sure where a lot of stuff fits for everyone else. And, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like you in the sense that I don't really care what you want to, yeah. I don't, I, your sex life's not really my business and I don't want right. it to be. 
Um, so, so that's fine. But I've I've watched, you know, the the backlash against one thing that's scary about the radical left's movement towards this kind of social justice and I'll say authoritarian mm-hmm. extreme is they've they've they're continually arguing that there's this huge Nazi boogeyman out there of fascists who want to do stuff, right? And I don't think that was true, but I think they're creating it slowly. And I'm seeing a resurgence of the moral majority. And I'm going to bring up the Turning Point USA thing that happened recently with um, the porn star Brandy Love was her name. And she, I don't know if you know this, but she showed up, she considers herself conservative. Um, She's apparently a very popular adult film star. Um, she considers herself conservative, um, but she showed up at a Turning Point USA event dressed like a regular person with her husband and someone else to sit in the VIP section and watch people speak. So she's, she listened to mm-hmm. Dan Bongino and a few other people speak. And when she went back to her hotel room at the end of the day, she was told that she, she got an email and said, you're uninvited. You're no longer part of that. You can't Ooh. come um, because you're a porn star and that's horrible or whatever. So something like that. Um, and it's created this split amongst the conservatives. And the fascinating thing for me is not that there is the the group of conservatives that are okay with her, because I thought that's the way that a lot of the Republicans were moving. They've been more acceptance of gay marriage and like it's become mm-hmm. less of an issue than it was in the 80s. But there's also this group that I think relatively new that's absolutely a return of the moral majority type of mindset set. And I think that they're energized specifically by the radical leftist authoritarians. And their view is uh, the reason that we're falling apart is we don't have the the evangelical Christian mindset anymore. And that's the only way to fix America. Um, I agree with you, though. I don't think no matter if the quote unquote moral majority returns, I think it's going to be modified in the way that I do not think there will be the hostility towards um like gay marriage because with all the other changes that have come gay seems pretty boring right now two committed guys in a marriage that that i think that's become somewhat traditional they're targeting transgendered people and things like that that's the hot button now two guys want to get married two girls want to get married i think they actually would think that kind of conservative at this point i'm not Um, sure i'm not sure about that element because I would have I would have guessed that about a porn star, too. But oh, no, even the left is sex negative now. Like, oh, it's no. The point I, I can understand. I, I, I can see it. But like if she just was like some conservative in every other way, but happened to be married to a woman, I don't think they would have had a problem with it. But for okay. instance, like Caitlyn Jenner is having a hard time, but it's because that she's transgender. Even though yeah. she is like as conservative as I mean, very, very She's quite like, conservative and quite conservative. Yeah. But yeah. they can't handle the transgender issue. And from what I understand, she hasn't felt particularly welcome. And that's a shame. Yeah. I'd love her to come to the LP. And she's got some issues that we wouldn't agree with. She's a borderitarian, but you want to know what? Most people don't come into the party perfect. You know, I, w- I, I certainly wasn't an anarchist. You know, I I could now like cringe at some of the things I used to say. Um, we all can. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I listen, Caitlin, come to the LP. You won't have this shit. 
I with the trans issue, I actually see I'm sympathetic to some of the backlash because of the way that it's been it's uh, it's been rolled out to children, um, and it's been rolled out to children in an unquestioning way. So I have a friend whose daughter um, probably would have just been lesbian, like she probably just would have in the '80s. She would have been like, eh, I feel like I'm a little bit more butchy and into women, and everyone would have said, "All right, well." we'll Good luck with that. That's fine. I mean, uh, but instead, you know, she goes in front of a guidance counselor and the guidance counselor immediately concludes, well, you must be a man. Uh, you really should get a See, gender transition. I don't like, think you need it's a surgery. transgender issue, though. It's it's the fact that there's government schools and government guidance counselors. If it wasn't, this issue would be something else. I um, I don't have <laughs> that's kids. an interesting point. I don't have kids, so I kind of stay away from all issues that have to do with kids. I think it's the province of the parents and the and, and, and the issue, I think, with even what we, just you said is the government intrusion into it. Um, but I do believe it's a family matter. So I kind of go, Poop. I'll I'll um, I'll denounce the government involvement. But listen, it's I'm not going to uh, oh, insert my opinion as a childless woman on how families are raising their children. Unless they're like beating them or something, I'm just not my business. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Just, just so you know, the government, the government is actually, oh, I, well, I agree. The government is responsible shit, for a lot though. of this. Yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, what else? They're indoctrinating us in everything, you yeah. know? So I'm not surprised that, you know, that's kind of how I, I view the, a lot of people arguing against critical race theory in, in schools. And I'm, I'm, my, my attitude is often, well, Just there shouldn't be the schools. schools. There right. shouldn't be the public schools. <laughs> like, right. what do you expect? <laughs> like, what do you expect? Um, but it, I mean, it is. these culture wars if there wasn't a government to manipulate into forcing everyone to have your view. People yeah. would just have their communities and that would be fine. The problem isn't these cultural issues. It's the fucking government. That is the problem. Well, I mean, but we can get back to what we said earlier, right, which is the the cultural issues, um, the cultural war matters. The culture matters before the laws matter. Right. So I, I think it's legitimate to argue about cultural issues. Um, it is a, only because the gun is here and everyone's fighting in the room. to have it. Right. Everyone wa is yeah. fighting to pick it up. But the ultimate issue is that the gun's in the room. Right. Yeah. Without the gun, you could just ostracize yourself from, from exactly. communities you didn't want to be around. And that would be the end of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, and, and, and you could argue. Ultimate, ultimately, the problem is government. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And, and I think. Ultimately, you, you know, the only way to, to to solve a lot of this is ostracizing Abolish from the government. Right. Yeah. You, you got to ostracize from the people that you don't want to. You know, Michael Malice tweeted something the other day when someone someone complained about something and he said, I don't I don't like want you to do a particular thing or hate you or anything. I just don't want to share a country with you. Like, I just don't want to like I just don't want to share a country with you. Like, is it isn't that OK? I just don't want to be under the gun that you're voting for. Right. Um, which right. I think, I think makes a lot of sense. And I, 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 oh my God, I adore Michael Malice so hard and he won't even follow me on Twitter. <laughs> he is pretty awesome. Uh, you know what? I've reached out to him a few times and he doesn't respond, but I realized 
if I were Michael Malice, I wouldn't respond to me either. That's part of what makes him awesome. So I just, it's fine. Right. Yeah, it um, is. It is. It is. <laughs> I, I think now, just as a matter of principle, he'll never follow me on Twitter. <laughs> he mentions me like on his show. It's not like he doesn't know me. Oh, he knows you. He just won't follow you. Yeah. He just yeah. will not refollow. And I'm just like, I think that's why I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's doing his thing. It's all good. So um, I want to talk about one other, since we're talking about the morality a little bit, I, can you talk about your stance on abortion? Because if I understand sure. it from Wikipedia, it's different than what I would expect. How is it different than what you would expect? What's the impression that you have? Because I don't disagree with the party on it. I don't think the government should be involved. Okay. That makes sense. I would expect that. So that right. Sense. Well, because I don't think there should be a government. So, but um, I do think it's immoral. But okay. I I don't think every wrong in this world can be righted without creating more wrongs in its wake, and you just need to argue on the moral issue. But I don't believe that every injustice is curable. And some of the knowledge to know the entire situation of what's going on with the woman, because I don't think it's immoral in every circumstance. I don't think, well, we also have to get into, okay, I, I shouldn't use the word immoral. I don't think it's unjust. I think justice is a very narrow subset of morality. Personally, I think it's immoral in every situation, but not unjust in every situation. What do you, so what's the rape. difference for those things for you? Immoral and unjust. Okay, and some of this will come from my religious background, and I know you're an atheist, but I also believe everyone, I, I know atheists hate when I say this, but I think everyone has a religion, even if it doesn't have a God. It's just your metaphysical view of the world. As I think everyone being, has a, I call that a philosophy, but yeah, right, I do think everyone right. has a philosophy. I, I, I don't care what we call it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I, we, for, well, let me analogize this to the fact that I'm a pacifist. OK, but it's okay. a personal choice. I don't it's my morality, but it's not. So, for instance, I find it immoral to use for me because I'm a Christian to you to for me to use lethal force against another image bearer of God. However, if I did, it wouldn't be unjust because you can lay aside rights you, you can choose not to exercise rights that you have. And to me, that's where morality transcends justice, where you could be justified in doing something, but for something within yourself that's a greater cause than your own rights, you voluntarily choose to set aside your rights and perhaps subject yourself to certain treatment that justice doesn't demand of you. You go above and beyond. It's like when Jesus said, if someone you know, take, you know, takes your cloak, offer them all the rest of your shit too. you know, that sort of thing. Um, so for me personally, as a Christian, I think abortion in every case, um, except for the life of the mother, because I don't think even your own morality means that you should actually sacrifice your life. But you let's say be altruistic not, about it. Yeah. Okay. Right. In most cases, in the vast, in 99% of the cases, I personally believe it's immoral, but justice is much narrower. So even while I might think it's immoral for a woman who was raped to have an abortion, it's certainly her right within libertarian justice to do that. And she's not aggressing 
against anyone because she didn't choose that situation. The aggressor is the rapist. It's like someone who uses a human shield. If the human shield gets killed, it's, it's not the fault of the person defending themselves who accidentally hit the human shield. It's the fault of the person who put that person in that position to begin with. Right. Same thing with a rape, with, a, with abortion. So also, I also view abortion almost like shooting into a building. If you, if you have every reason to believe it's empty and it turns out it's not, you're not a criminal or an aggressor because you took reasonable precautions to, tr to make sure you weren't aggressing and some weird freak accident happened. Um, if you're a woman and you, you take the birth control pill, which has a, over a 99% efficacy rate, I think you took reasonable precautions. And if you still get pregnant, I don't think justice demands that you bear that child, that you would be perfectly justified in having an abortion. But I personally would think it's immoral. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does, kind of. Um, I'm, I'm. I've so as been a libertarian, I like just talking about justice because justice applies to everybody, and I think morality. People do have different obligations. Like you're probably not a pacifist, but I am. I don't think that means you're wrong. But in my metaphysical worldview, that's what I feel the demand is on me. But I don't think you're unjust for not being one. So I do divide things into libertarian justice and personal morality, which could go beyond libertarian justice. Is this concept of justice that you're talking about a political or is it transcend politics? It, it would exist in, in anarchy as well. Right. That that to me is the it it's not it's not political. It's OK. It's natural rights type thing. Okay. I think I, I think I understand because it, it relates to an idea that I've been really thinking about, which is I don't like ethics and morality being uh, a bucket that includes two concepts, which is one is what do you think is um, in your own long-term self-interest? Like what, what are your like what's not self-destructive? That would be the moral thing for you to do. Like I, I do believe it's immoral for you to intentionally self-destruct, right? Like even though you have you the be, right to do it, you could it. do it if you want to. Sure, right. right? Yeah, you could do it. It's not but, unjust. You have that right. But, yeah. So you could do it, but yeah. Right. But there's also a separate set of of morals, which is, um, much more related to the non-aggression principles. Okay, it's one thing for you to make decisions about yourself. Now let's talk about how to behave with respect to other people. And that's very clear. And we might all disagree. We might disagree on what we personally think is healthy for ourselves. And we could even right. verbally condemn each other for bad decisions. But right. uh, but we need to agree on how we treat each other. There's this like interpersonal morality, which is different from your personal morality. And it doesn't mean you can't have opinions about people's personal morality, but it but you can't enforce them. Right. It's it's it, it, when you're dealing with justice, there there can be it, it implies that there's a justified use of force to enforce that justice where personal morality that transcends that there's no use of force involved because that's all force can only be involved in justified cases. Yes, although that's presupposing the morality that I'm talking about, which I agree with, which is the the 
the interpersonal morality, there are rules and those rules involve, hey, not initiation, not initiating force. Right. I think okay. that's a, a foundation. I, I know people start arguing, well, how do you justify the non-aggression principle? I'm not a Hoppian, but I do think his um, argumentation ethics are brilliant, that you can't argue against self-ownership in the non-aggression principle without presupposing it. I, I think yep. it's a, a fundamental presupposition that reality makes no sense without it. And you can't argue against it without um, sneaking it in. So yeah, I, that's probably true. It's a first principle as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, I haven't thought of it that way, but I think you're right. And it, to me, it's just, it, it's directly, it directly falls from the, the nature of humans and right. the concept of self-ownership. Like you can't, yeah, I there's, just there's no way around it's, that. It's part of the warp and woof of reality. So I don't even argue yeah. it because you know, we don't even have any kind of fundamental starting point where we're, we're starting floating out in space and you can't start a discussion that way. And I think most people intuitively recognize that. Maybe, although they don't really recognize that in any of their actions, right? They, they, they're happy to vote for things that completely violate because that. Because they don't yet, because here's the thing, I agree with you but they still do oppose aggression. They just don't yet understand how to properly define aggression. And that's different. People who are voting for raising your taxes, they don't view themselves as aggressors, but it's okay. They just don't view that as aggression because they haven't connected the dots yet. And though I'm starting to somewhat, you had the t-shirts, didn't you at Porkfest with the sheep? Yes. Is that you? Okay. Yeah. I, I no, I thought that was fantastic because it it and you were supposed to get me one of those, by the way, and you didn't. I haven't forgotten. I'm sorry, but I will mail you one. Give us we'll, yes. we'll mail you one. Yeah, give us your address. So, we'll mail you. Um it it it, it 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 touched upon something I've been doing a lot of thinking about as to whether political determinism is true or not. And at first I thought that was really depressing, but now I actually don't, you know. If, if it's the way it is, there's no reason being depressed about it. But your shirt kind of touched upon that, where if there are people that are intrinsically, I don't like using the word sheep, but let's just use that for a shortcut, then yeah, the porcupine's got to separate from the sheep. And, yeah. and it doesn't mean like the sheep are bad. It's just they need to be with other sheep, <laughs> you know? Right. They need to be with the sheep, other sheep, and they can have a shepherd if they want. Um, yes. But yeah. I, but they can't be you know, imposing that on the porcupines. That's right, but porcupines don't want a shepherd. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, it makes me think about. Um, I've. I, I feel like I've become to this elitist position, and I don't mean it to be elitist, but I think it's a recognition of reality. Um, when you look at things like the Milgram experiment and the Ash conformity studies, you, you very quickly see that a large percentage of the population will, in fact, go along with peer pressure. Uh, even though if they know it's they know that it's that it's wrong, like like a, a complete falsehood, they'll agree with uh, under peer pressure. Something like seventy percent or seventy five percent of the people will do that, and like two thirds of the people will physically injure someone if an authority figure wearing a lab coat tells them to. Like there's there's a large percent of the population that just that's how they respond, that's how they behave, and. But is that inherent me. or is it learned? I mean, that's where well, you so get down into political determinism. 
Well, this is the scary part. I th so we've also interviewed, do you know who Charles Murray is? Mm -hmm. We've interviewed Charles Murray. And if you read his book, Human Diversity, um, there's some depressing facts in there, which is uh, one of the most depressing ones is it, we don't start tabula rasa. It's not all determined. So there's some hope, right? There's, it's not all determined, but there is a large percentage of personality traits that are genetic and just determined. And there's kind of nothing you can do about it. And to the, ex the extent to which they're completely unalterable, I don't know. But um, I, we may have to face this issue of like, there may just be people who are going to be sheep and we don't know how to make, maybe well, there is a way to make them not sheep, but we don't know how. Um, that's what Height's book even, I think, was about. I don't think he actually advocated political determinism, but it kind of dealt with the differing values. Um, yeah. Do you mean the righteous mind or yes, the... Yes, yeah, no, okay. the righteous yeah. mind. Yeah, the, the, the righteous mind. But I still argue with people in hopes to change minds. Um, well, because you can. It does work sometimes, right? Like, that's the thing. Right. Statistics aren't individuals. So, you know, I, the, the, the reason I've come to this separation idea, which I also want to talk to you about, uh, is, <laughs> look, I mean... There are people, whether they're predisposed or they've learned it or whatever, there are porcupines. There are people out there who are like, look, uh, I want to be responsible for myself. I have self-ownership. I'm willing to let you have self-ownership. And I want I only want to interact voluntarily. I don't I don't want a shepherd. I like I I don't want an authority figure. Well, you know what you're advocating for is panarchy. Yes. I mean in in a, an actual free society, though, you could have that. Like you could have right. if the communists wanted to go have their own little right. commune no, over I'm there. To, I, I'm like totally yeah. on board with panarchy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so let's talk about. I don't know how to pronounce it. New Island. A new way. New way. New way. New way Island. Tell everyone. So, I've just to context. Mm -hmm. We talk about secession on this show not often, but enough people people hear it a lot um and there's like well new hampshire's doing their thing well texas has got a kind of a spirit of secession but you know they're not super libertarian whatever um the concrete you brought Republic. up a, yeah you brought up an option i i did late late make the case okay i've been doing this for a while and you're the only person that's ever been super interested i love um, this i love it yeah. so there's this little island off the way off the coast of new zealand called new way um that's its own country but it has a defense treaty with new zealand new zealand pro provides all of its national defense because it's a strategic location if there were, if all hell ever broke loose um it's got a tourist a tourist economy but at least five years ago, they were inviting people to come because they were concerned about their dwindling population and preservation of the culture of the island. And you could become a citizen for $1,500 after five years. You pay $1,500, you live there for five years, you could become a citizen. And it wouldn't take many libertarians to go spend the five years there, become a citizen, and turn that into Libertopia. It's way out in the middle of nowhere. A larger, you don't have to worry about national defense because New Zealand is providing that. There's a tourist economy to be exploited. And 
I don't think we're ever going to be successful taking over a state with all due respect to New Hampshire. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen that if we're going to try to do, you know, an arco, you know, and Kapistan or whatever it might be, that we got to find some place where we can really be separate and do this experiment and have a country, a whole geographical area that there's no other ones touching it. Like you're in the middle of the fucking ocean. Right. And it's doable. 1,500 libertarians could go to New Way and start Libertopia. Yeah, so I just looked it up while we're talking. The population of New Way is 1,620 people. That's the population. That's what I said. Take it over. Yeah. You could double. We could double the population relatively easily. How many people moved to New Hampshire? Not that the same number would move, but oh, twenty thousand. I think was the original signers before they started saying people to move. So when they had people, you know, sign signers, I think mm-hmm. I think the goal was to get twenty thousand before it was officially launched. That's before okay. my time. I wasn't a libertarian then, um, and and just FYI, why I have hope. Um, that political determinism is not true and that we actually can change everyone's mind. A, part of that's because of my Christianity where I believe in the image of God in every person. But two, six months before I became a libertarian, I was arguing in front of like bunches of people for single payer. Okay. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) So radical change. You're just undoing all the damage you did all those years right now. Thank you for (laughs) it. But I was terrible. So I I have to believe there's hope. Some people just might be harder cases than others. Yeah, I'm I'm not hopeless. I do think that the future. I, I, this sounds cliche, but I think the future is is children. Like if you raise children in a way that inoculates them to uh, submission to authority and um, right. all, all the kind of brainwashing crap that happens, then you they but end I up. That way, I think separation would help actually um, create an attractive culture. So if libertarians separated, had their own country, it was successful, then we could export that culture in an actual working system, the way America exports its culture right now. So I, I, I don't see separation as just leaving the rest of the world to rot. I see it as like planting a big tree that we're going to invite everybody to at least taste the fruit. It's a proof of concept because a lot of people will say you couldn't possibly do this, blah, blah, blah. And now, and you know, if you did it on new way Island, they would say, well, that's a small place. You can't do it someplace bigger. So then you'd have to do it someplace slightly bigger. And then, then it would be like, Oh, well, okay. It works there, but it wouldn't work for the U S like you'd have to, well, as Michael Malice says, uh, no, um, anar- a certain type of anar- panarchy, the, the multiple communities and panarchy, it's even human nature is not made for these large giant countries oh, right. we have True. right now. So even even Dave Smith and Michael Malice talk about this all the time. We're like, oh, you couldn't do this in the whole country. And they're like, you're right. It would be smaller constituencies. And that's good. Right. 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 No, I guess that I guess that makes sense. I'm thinking like when I say implement it in the US, it's like as a bunch of smaller constituencies, right? But um I don't know, I think people are 
I don't think they're ready for it, but I think they're ready for like crazy libertarians to go to an island somewhere and maybe in 20 years you they'll check know. back in with us all, and we'll be like, all oh, you need to, this is this is the way you, you export the culture. So you, you get your, your shit going on a new way and then you get a reality TV show about new way. And all of a sudden you're exporting that culture everywhere. Hey, listen, yeah. Kim, Kim Kardashian made everyone want to have a big ass. Okay, <laughs> through reality TV, maybe we can make everyone want to have freedom like they want a big ass. <laughs> That's a horrible and awesome analogy all at once. Um, <laughs> Listen, yeah. it, her ass is impressive. We can do some impressive. Freedom. It's roughly the size of New Way, I think. Um, it's <laughs> there. Their, their square area, their square, the square. But, but think of all the crap we could do there. And it's yeah. manageable. It's doable. So yeah, yeah, and you could build. You could do what Germany did, which is you build universities, except for filling them with crappy professors. You fill them with good philosophy, and then make them attractive somehow. Then you get people coming to New Way just to go to college, and then right. they export that. Yeah, you could you could do that. So I don't know what the next step is, but I I knew that after talking to you, the next step was yeah. to share it with the rest of our audience so that they could see this was an option, and. Uh, Hey, if Peter Thiel, if you're watching and you have nothing better to do. Well, could, uh, it, it, and COVID actually provided an opportunity in a way because people, I mean, the first thing you got to think of is, well, you know, what's the economy going to be based on? You know, you don't want to be this poor, right. right. But as long as you can get connected online, which you can do through satellite, um, people can still work wherever. Like yeah. I, I was, I work in, until I quit my job, I was working. I lived in Colorado, worked in Florida. I could have fucking lived in New Way and worked in Florida. Yep. Um, the t there's a lot of professions now that have adapted themselves to remote. COVID proved remote works. Yep. And yep. opened that. That was one good thing that came out of COVID. So I I don't see the limitations. I think doing something like that would have been impossible pre-internet age. It just you'd have been dirt poor, like running around like savages. But now I think the, the potential is there to have a healthy, robust economy and community that's productive. Yeah, you can't have modern society with with small, isolated populations that don't interact with each other like you can't. Right. You can't build. I mean, there's more than <clears throat> there's more than that number of people that work at most large companies. Right. So but there's companies. already a very healthy tourist economy because for the rich, more, you know, affluent that want to go out in the middle of nowhere and experience, you know, everything that island life has, you know, the, 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 the recreation that is around that sort of um, environment, there's a lot to do between yeah. diving and boating and, you know, all the all, all that type of stuff. So you either make it a place, maybe you make it like a Florida where people go for when they're young, they go for spring bake and maybe even want to go to yeah. university there and you and old people go there to retire. And that's that's the. And if you're starting to worry about space, we have to find out how far out the territorial waters go because you can seastead. Yes. Yeah. You can start seasteading. Um, and then you'll be so successful that you just buy New Zealand eventually. It's all good. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, taking over a state isn't 
listen, I would love to move to New Hampshire, to be honest with you. And I have like considered it, but my husband's roots are here. He's a realtor. And that's the type of business where you build relationships over decades. Yeah. You can, and they're stuck been, where they are. They're yeah, not internet he's been relationships. 30, he, yeah. He's been a, a, real, a, a realtor in Castle Rock for 30 years. We're older. Yeah. We're, he, he, we can't just, I could pick up and go to New Hampshire. He can't. So it's, it's not an option for us. Um, but unless we're going to do an entire career change, you know, like tourist industry in New Way. <laughs> I don't know if the tourist industry is huge in New Hampshire, though, but New Way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. what, what's Colorado like recently? Because I had I had some friends who moved actually to Castle Rock, which I mentioned to you uh, several yeah, years ago. I'm, I'm in Castle Rock. Right. Yeah. Um, and they moved there. I don't know, four or five years ago. Um, and the argument at the time was, oh, Colorado, we can still save Colorado. It's not lost. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and now it I depends. think she's come around and said, yeah, it's, it's lost. It's, well, Douglas County, where Castle Rock is, is actually very, first, it's the most affluent county in Colorado. It's also very, very conservative. It's not like Denver. Um, so, so Douglas County is kind of like a conservative oasis, but there are places in Colorado, which are salvageable, such as Weld County, which defied all of the mask mandates and keeps trying to secede from Colorado into Wyoming. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I've never heard of that before here of counties wanting to secede and join another state. I love it. That's happening in Northern California and Washington. There's a bunch, there's a greater Idaho project where they want to, counties want to secede and join Idaho. That's great. It it totally like appeals to my chaotic, good uh, nature, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I, I like it as well. I like it as well. There's something that's, I like, there's something about the chaos that I like, which yeah, is like, oh, it's, let's see, let, the, let them do it. Let, let them do it. If you ever yeah. play D and D, you know the the temperaments. I don't know if you yes. know the role. Yeah, so chaotic good is that's me completely. Okay, <laughs> what? Uh, I don't even. What, what race are you in D and D? Are you? Do you have a? Thing? Oh, you know, I, it's been a long time, and actually, the most successful ca- character I had, which are usually lawful good, was a paladin. Okay. I've heard that D and D is going woke now. So oh, I um, bet it's been ages for me. It's been ages, but I, I would bet everything's going woke now. We played an internal D and D game that Beverly ran as a dungeon master uh, at Unsafe Space, mm-hmm. and we're going to do another one in in August. Um, so it's fun as an adult. It's fun. I think you should you should jump in. Well, I'm D&D. just so busy with my politics. That's what's no, but I, I would in a heartbeat because like, I love that shit. <laughs> so, um, Karen Ann, remind, remind everyone how they can follow you, um, where you are. And do you have any last words of advice for, for people? Um, okay. You could, the, the, the main source of like the content I put out, like, you know, there's always social media, but to be honest with you, I, I basically just shit post on social media and I'm nowhere near yet Michael Malice level, though I aspire. Few um, are, few are. Yeah, few are. He's a god. But for content, for actual libertarian content that gets into things rather than just mere you know, shit posting, I have a YouTube channel called Pink Flame of Liberty. And because I'm currently um, not employed in the regular world, I put out daily content because <laughs> that's what I do. And wow. it's very... It's a niche for sure, because I do a lot of Libertarian Party history because I'm like, I have a history fetish. 
and a lot of inside baseball LP stuff, but there is general libertarian things as well. So that's where I would highly encourage everyone. And and most of them are live streams because I like doing participatory, you know, where the the direction of what the topic we're talking about is going to be determined by the audience. Yeah, that can be fun. We do that a couple of times a week and it's... uh... It's, like nearly it's everything fun. now I do because I hate editing too. So it's just wonderful. Because yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. edit for like weeks. I'm like, oh God, no. Do you have any final any final thoughts, comments, uh, words of encouragement to people who are black-pilled right now? Well, um, I don't get that mindset, to be honest with you, because <laughs> I don't know, that's just so dark and I, I can't go there. But for people who, who might think they are, but they, they're, they're still willing to try something, I actually encourage people to just take over the LP for actual libertarianism. It, just like I had said, where when I was the candidate that got all those questions, I was just a paper candidate. I didn't raise any money. I did nothing. All I did is put my name on the ballot. And all of a sudden, I had this platform that probably if you had to pay for would have been twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars for free. So use the LP to get libertarianism out and that will change the culture. And we then might eventually change politics. But I think the general libertarian, non big L libertarian uh, masses underestimate the power of using a political party as a vehicle. And they just like scoff at it because there are some goons in the party. Okay, outnumber them. Outnumber them. There's always, that's humans. It's because people, it's made up of people. Right. But out, outnumber them and um, use that vehicle because it's powerful. And I keep trying to encourage people. And, you know, a lot of people go, well, you know, there's not enough people like you. That's because you're not joining. There could be a lot of people like me. Just join. <laughs> take it over. It's not hard. It's a small pond. It's like uh, New A Island of politics. At, at, that is such a perfect analogy because it's true. 1500, 1500 hardcore libertarians could take over the LP. Easy. <laughs> There you go. So please come and let's use this to change our society. I think it's possible. Maybe I'm insane, but I think it's possible. (laughs) Well, Karen Ann, look, I really appreciate your time, your energy, and all that you're doing for the cause of liberty. So um, thanks for joining us today. And I will email you the address because I like definitely want that shirt. Oh, we'll send you a shirt. No, no, uh, no questions about it. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Well, mostly. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. 
dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to its thinky talk. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and will be recycled as part of our sustainability program. Don't be sad. You can't make an omelette without purging all dissidents. Honestly, I am worried that you have been exposed to extremist content. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks at the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.